In a recent IFL TV interview, which I'm sure most of you have seen by now, Tyson Fury said that he's going to have three more fights before he retires. And those fights will be against Deontay Wilder in a rematch, Anthony Joshua and Dylan White. Now, we have to take this with a pinch of salt because Tyson Fury has threatened to retire after a certain number of fights in the past. And those number of fights have come and gone. And yet here he is still fighting. In previous interviews, Tyson Fury has said that he'll wake up one day and feel like he wants to retire. But then he wakes up the next day and feels like he wants to try and break Joe Lewis's record. So he's a very erratic character. And we do have to take what he says with a pinch of salt. But theoretically speaking, if he actually was to defeat Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, and Dylan White in his next three fights and then retire, he would go down as one of the greatest heavyweights in history. Even if he never fought again beyond that, he'd go down as one of the best ever. He doesn't have the resume right now to go down as one of the best ever, but if he was to beat those three guys consecutively, no question about it, we're talking about a first ballot Hall of Famer in Tyson Fury and one of the greatest heavyweights to ever live, if he could do that. How realistic is it that he would even be able to get those fights in his next three? Well, the way it looks at the moment, not very realistic. Firstly, because there's a rematch clause for his upcoming fight against Deontay Wilder, a rubber match clause, if you will. The loser gets the opportunity to trigger that clause immediately. Okay. Now, if Deontay Wilder loses to Fury, even if it's decisive, I would be absolutely amazed if he didn't trigger the rematch clause immediately. Even if he doesn't want to fight Fury again, I have to imagine there would be an immense amount of pressure from Fox, from Al Heyman, and all those around him to fight Fury again and try and get that WBC strap back because there's a lot of people eating off Deontay Wilder right now. Al Heyman has only got one heavyweight title at this juncture and he wants to keep hold of it and he's going to go through hell and high water to try and make sure that he does. Yeah. Tyson Fury, on the other hand, if he was to lose to Wilder in the rematch, he might go for the immediate rubber match. But then again, he could pivot and go fight AJ instead or go fight Dylan White instead. Reason being, if he lost to Wilder, he'd be in the same position as he was before the Wilder rematch. Because he doesn't have a belt right now. If he loses to Wilder, he still won't have a belt. Whereas if Wilder loses, he's actually going to lose something tangible, a belt, a status as a champion with one of the major sanctioning bodies. You see? So there's going to be more of an incentive for him to take an immediate rematch than there would be for Tyson Fury to do so. So again, I think Wilder is almost certainly going to trigger an immediate third fight with Fury if he loses, even if it's decisive. So I think what's more likely is Fury fights Wilder. And if he beats him the first time, or, or, or should I say the second time, he'd have to fight him a third time straight afterwards. If he managed to beat him a third time, or, you know, beat him a second time, should I say, the first fight was a draw. But if he managed to beat him again, he would then have to face Dylan White, if White still has interim status in early 2021. So more likely is Fury versus Wilder then versus Wilder again, then versus Dylan White. And then maybe after that, if he gets through all those fights, 
then a fight against Joshua, if Joshua's still WBA, WBO, IBF champion at that point. So it would be good, you know, to see somebody who could just put together a string of top level wins like that, but unlikely at this point. Yeah. Now Tyson Fury, to his credit, does give Dylan White some credit, as you should. It's not about being a Dylan White fan or anything like that. It's about telling the truth. And if you're truthful and if you're honest, and if you're objective, then you will agree with what Tyson Fury said in his comments in the IFL interview. He said Dylan White deserves his shot. He's a good boxer, a good puncher, gritty determination. He can climb off the floor to win fights. He deserves his shot. Dylan White deserves his shot more than any other contender in the division at this point. He has a better resume than any contender in the division other than maybe Andy Ruiz or Tyson Fury. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have a better resume than them. I'm just saying that some people could make that argument because Tyson Fury, of course, has got to win over Klitschko and Andy Ruiz has got to win over AJ. But other than those two guys, hands down, Dylan White has got a better resume than any other heavyweight in the division. No question. And he's done more than anybody else out there right now to earn his shot. Tyson Fury is acknowledging it, which is good to see. Okay. Uh, and all of those wilder fanboys out there, idiots, it's going to make it more difficult for them to try and perpetuate their ridiculous propaganda that White somehow doesn't deserve a shot or he needs to do more. Utterly ridiculous. He's done more than anybody else out there anyway to get a shot. What are you talking about? <laughs> and Tyson Fury, in a roundabout way, is kind of acknowledging that White does deserve based upon what he's done. So, but anyway, whether... Tyson Fury thinks he deserves it or not. If Dylan White is still interim champion in early 2021, Tyson Fury's got to fight him anyway. Yeah, Fury had the opportunity to fight Dylan White last year and decided not to for the diamond belt, WBC. Decided not to. Well, in 2021, he might not have the option if uh, Tyson Fury is WBC champion. He might be forced to fight Dylan White. We'll see. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Again, just to reiterate, if somehow this dream outcome occurs for Tyson Fury where he beats Wilder, Joshua and White in his next three. First ballot Hall, Hall of Famer, all-time great, no question. One of the greatest of all time if he does that. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening, I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. So as you can see here, in the past couple of days, Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn met up with a member of Team Usek to discuss a potential AJ Usek fight 
in 2020. Now, I saw someone online claim that the WBO are going to allow AJ to fight Pulev first and then defend against Usyk afterwards, as long as Usyk gets a guarantee that he would be next in line to get a crack at the WBO belt. No unifications, no nothing, just a straight crack with Usyk once AJ gets past Pulev, assuming he does, you know, maybe Pulev pulls off the upset, but then Pulev would also be bound to facing Usyk in his very next fight. That's what I've heard online. I don't know whether that's true. If any of you can give me any confirmation that that is true, please drop links in the comment section below. But if that is the case, it's good news because we want to try and keep all the belts together. We don't want the belts becoming fragmented. We want to go a step closer to seeing an undisputed heavyweight champion. Finally, get into the point where we have a consensus, quote unquote, man in the heavyweight division. So yeah, hopefully these talks were productive and we'll hear an announcement in the not too distant future. This really would be a great start to the year in terms of the ideal way that things would map out, you know, that things would unfold rather than the belts getting scattered. AJ keeps hold of the belts he has now, defends against Pulev, defends against Usek, which are the two mandatories. Once those are out of the way, then he can start looking at unifying with whoever holds the WBC belt, uh, maybe in 2021. Because you have to imagine the way world champions are these days, particularly with the heavyweights, they only tend to fight twice a year. So AJ versus Pulev in the first half of this year, then AJ versus Usek in the second half of the year, assuming he beats Pulev. If he beats both of them, 2021, perhaps unification for the undisputed. Uh, but even then, I mean, he might have to wait a little bit because if Dylan White is still the interim champion and there's no guarantee he will be, but if he is, if he's still the interim champion in early 2021, he's going to have to wait for Dylan White to get his shot uh, against whoever's WBC champion. And then after that, AJ could fight for the undisputed. And the crazy world of heavyweight boxing, you never know. It could end up as AJ versus White for the undisputed. I know a lot of people are not going to be betting on that outcome, and I wouldn't either. But one thing I've learned about heavyweight boxing over the decades is that you should expect the unexpected. <laughs> expect the unexpected man so let me know what you guys think in the comment section below again if you've got any information about the current situation with aj the wbo and the ibf please let us all know by dropping links in the comment section below it's that man i'm out join me on patreon i upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream q a sessions Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. 
It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. Martin Bacoli's trainer and manager, Billy Nelson, says that they would happily accept a fight against Filip Hergovic if it were offered to them. But he does clarify in this tweet that it hasn't been offered to them as of yet. The fight is not being discussed behind the scenes. It's not in the works. It's clearly a theoretical scenario that he's talking about here. Now, personally, if this fight was to happen, I think it would be great for both men. Filip Hergovic, as we know, great amateur background, uh, also fought in the World Series of Boxing. He's highly touted as a prospect. And as such, an opponent like Martin Bacoli, who has probably got more ambition at this stage than someone like an Eric Molina, who Filip Hergovic just beat, that would be a good step up for Filip Hergovic. Now, Hergovic would be the favorite in that fight, and rightly so. But Martin Bacoli could offer more resistance than anybody Hergovic has fought so far. So I think it's, it's a good fight for Hergovic. And for Martin Bacoli, it's a good fight as well because it gives him an opportunity. Martin Bacoli is a talented heavyweight, but he is an obscure heavyweight at this point. Very few people in boxing know this guy. I mean, the boxing insiders and the real, real hardcores might know him, but the wider boxing audience, they don't know who he is. And when you're a, in a, when you're a talented fighter, but you're obscure and you don't have a fan base, you're going to need to roll the dice. It's kind of like when Dylan White was on the way up. Dylan White was another obscure heavyweight fighting on small hall shows. Many of Dylan White's early fights weren't even televised. But then he got the opportunity to fight Anthony Joshua and he had to take it. He could either continue fighting on small hall shows, untelevised shows, where nobody was watching and he wasn't getting paid anything. Dylan White at the time, early on in his career, was working as a nightclub bouncer and also boxing, you know, to supplement his income. I don't know what Martin Bacoli does. I've heard that he's, his family's got money back in Congo, but nonetheless, he's still an obscure heavyweight. Like Dylan White, when he took the opportunity against AJ, Bacoli would have to take the opportunity against Hergovic. Obviously, Hergovic is not the kind of star that AJ was uh, when Dylan White fought AJ, but nonetheless, he's still more well-known in boxing circles than Martin Bacoli is. So Bacoli would have to take that opportunity, and I think he would. And as long as he puts up a good performance and pushes Filip Hergovic, even if he loses, he might still do well off the back of that fight, as Dylan White did off the back of the AJ fight. Because the more successful AJ became, the, you know... The, the, the less bad Dylan White's performance against AJ started to look. Because obviously, Dylan White did better than a lot of people expected against AJ. I thought that he'd give AJ a good fight, and I was saying it for a long time. I was one of the few people saying that Dylan White versus AJ would be a real good fight. But most people expected Dylan White to just get blown away in a couple of rounds. The fact that he didn't raised eyebrows, and when Anthony Joshua went on, to knock out Charles Martin and uh, to knock out Eric Molina and all these other people, Dylan White's performance against AJ started looking better and better. 
And he was obviously able to build a career off the back of that AJ fight and then become a star in his own right down the line when he was beating people like Joseph Parker, uh, you know, Big Daddy Brown, all them kind of people there, Derek Chisora, uh, Oscar Rivas, etc. So could Martin Bacoli do something similar if he was to lose to Hergovic? It all depends on how successful Hergovic becomes, obviously. But that's a potential risk-reward in that fight there for Martin Bacoli. Yes, it's a risk against the guy who would probably be favoured to beat him, but even if he loses and puts up a gallant effort, the better Hergovic does, you know, the, the better Bacoli's performance against Hergovic might look. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. And that's not to say Herg, uh, Bacoli doesn't have a chance. Maybe he springs an upset on Hergovic. And if he does, wow, they might be able to get this guy in the world title picture sooner rather than later. They are looking to move Martin Bacoli quite fast. And I suspect I know the reason why. It's not just because he's a fighter who is living in obscurity at the moment or existing in obscurity. Not just because of that. I also don't believe Martin Bacoli's stated age because originally it was on BoxRec that he was something like 25. Now, if you go to Martin Bacoli's BoxRec, it doesn't even state his age. So I don't know what kind of verification BoxRec require uh, to put somebody's age on their site. But I have my suspicions about Martin Piccoli's age. I don't think he's in his 20s. I think the guy is in his 30s, well into his 30s. That's my suspicion. It's often the case with fighters from Africa and other parts of the world, Cuba, that they lie about their age. And I think Martin Piccoli's enough one, to be honest with you. Maybe I'm wrong, but that is my strong suspicion that this guy's well into his 30s, but claiming to be in his 20s. And again, that would explain why Billy Nelson is so keen to fast track this guy because he probably knows he doesn't have too many years with him in terms of when he's going to be able to produce his best form. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening. Oscar Rivas has apparently thrown his hat into the ring as a potential opponent for Daniel Dubois this year. Now, Frank Warren, Dubois' promoter, has said on numerous occasions that he's willing to put Daniel Dubois in against any heavyweight in the world other than Wilder and Fury right now. And that includes the likes of Anthony Joshua, Dylan White, etc. Well, if that's true, Frank, then you should have no issue putting Dubois in there against Oscar Rivas because right now Dubois is whatever he is, 15, 16 and 0. He's not a big ticket seller. He's not headlining his own pay-per-views. He hasn't fought any world-level opposition as of yet. So targeting the likes of AJ and Dylan White right now is not realistic. The likes of AJ, he's got mandatories. The likes of Dylan White, he's trying to fight people like Andy Ruiz, Povetkin, world championship-level fighters. He's not trying to come down and fight a guy who's defending his British title or Commonwealth title. That doesn't make any sense. So... For those of you who are big Dubois fans, and by the way, I like Daniel Dubois. But for those of you who are big fans of his as well, the logical next step would be to fight an Oscar Rivas or even a Marius Wack. Because these are people who Dylan White has fought. So if you really want him to fight Dylan White, then if he can do a better job on Oscar Rivas or Marius Wack than Dylan White did, 
that can actually put pressure on Dylan White and it can raise Daniel Dubois' profile. So that would be a logical next step. Another good fight for Daniel Dubois. Again, assuming that Frank Warren is serious about being willing to put him in there against any heavyweight in the world outside of Wilder and Fury. Another good fight for him would be Martin Bacoli. I mean, a much better opponent than his past few, right? He would definitely be a step up. Martin Bacoli, of course, did a better job of Marius Wack than Dylan White did. So, if anything, it's an even better opponent than Marius Wack. These are the kind of people who I'd like to see Daniel Dubois in, uh, in with in 2020, uh, particularly if Frank Warren is serious about what he says, if Daniel Dubois really is that good. So we'll see. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. How do you think Daniel Dubois would get along in a fight against Oscar Rivas? It's interesting, of course, that Rivas is, in, is uh, looking at that fight against Dubois. Perhaps he sees things that he can exploit. One thing I'll tell you about Daniel Dubois is that he does like to exchange. And when he exchanges, his hooks are quite wide and he doesn't have the quickest hands in the world. He's not ridiculously slow, but he's not particularly fast either when it comes to hand speed, Daniel Dubois. His timing is pretty good, but there is an opportunity for an opponent to punch in between Daniel Dubois' wide hooks. Oscar Rivas likes to throw straight shots, even though he's a short guy and a pressure fighter. He primarily likes to throw straight punches if you watch him fight. Straight one-twos and all that kind of stuff, but in quick succession. He also has a nice uppercut. He's exactly the kind of fighter who might be able to punch in between Daniel Dubois' shots if he can, you know, get close enough and draw Dubois into one of those wild exchanges. He might be able to catch him in between. And then we'll see what Dubois' chin's like. We'll see what Dubois' like when he faces adversity. And as I say, if he can do a better job on Rivas than Dylan White did, that would send a big message to Dylan White, to Dylan White's fans, and to the heavyweight division in general. So we'll see whether um, Frank Warren is serious about what he says or whether it's just hot air. Now, also in this tweet from Michael Benson, uh, it says that Oscar Rivas expressed his interest in fighting Andy Ruiz as well, uh, but he is still yet to sign a co-promotional deal with Matchroom slash Top Rank. I wonder whether he's having some type of issue with Yvonne Michel, because some of you may remember that Artem Baturbiev was with Yvonne Michel, who is a a Canadian promoter, and he was trying to break away from that situation and join top rank. He first signed with Matchroom, then he left Matchroom, then he eventually shook off Yvonne Michel and signed with top rank. So is Oscar Rivas trying to do something similar? Potentially, we'll see. But I would personally like to see Rivas against Andy Ruiz as well. That's a great fight. That's a rematch of an amateur rivalry. They fought as amateurs, Oscar Rivas beat Ruiz. And the Dubois fight, same way. I'd love to see it. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. How do you see Dubois Rivas going? And would Dubois' team even take that fight? Let me know, people.
It's always good to be joined by this man, the unified heavyweight champion of the world, Anthony Joshua. Anthony, so many questions to ask you about possible opponents in 2020, possible venues as well. But let's, if we can, briefly look back to 2019, um, a roller coaster year for you. When you look back at 2019, how do you assess that? 2019, how do I assess that? Well, a serious year fighting abroad, tough roads. I'm trying to think and put it all into like a short sentence, you know what I mean? Took him my loss, learned how to deal with that. I feel like I was one of the first heavyweights of stature in the division to take a loss. So it was important to deal with it like a champion. Bouncing back, finishing the year on a high. Had to had one of the best JD parties, JD sports parties I've ever seen. I was on stage rapping with Heady One. Boxing aside, lyricist, DJ, everything that an athlete wants to be come out of me and I just enjoyed it with the people that supported me and I just ended the year on a high now we're now in 2020 and it's back to business let's look forward to 2020 it should be a good year for you the two names that you've been linked with the two names that have been mentioned a lot the IBF mandatory Kubat Pulev and the WBO mandatory Alexander Usyk can we say it's fair that one of those will probably be the guy that you do fight next yeah I, I'll definitely say so because it's mandatory and then the other situation is the one who I don't fight, I'm sure I'll fight sometime anyway. So even though it's like one or the other, it's one or the other for now. The heavyweight division, everyone's welcome to challenge. So even if it don't happen the first time, one of them will fight me again in the future. So um, everyone's going to get their chance. That's why I'm not even really worried about who it is, because I know sometime down the line I'm going to end up fighting them anyway. You stoked the fire a little bit recently. Obviously, we saw pictures of you meeting Eddie Hearn and Alexander Usyk's manager. You hashtagged, you hashtagged that meeting, yeah. Joshua Usyk. Yeah. Can we look into that? I mean, can you yeah, tell us what into, happened? Look into it. Look into it. We mean business. We want to fight the best. I go to these meetings. I don't really post about them, but you have to let people know that you're about that life. When it comes to this heavyweight boxing, you fight the best in the division. That's the, that's the best cruiserweight that we've ever seen. And I want to compete with him coming up to heavyweight. People say, oh, he's a cruiserweight. Look what Holyfield done. Phenomenal fighter. So what's to say Usyk can't go on and do great things? But before we see that potential, he has to come through the big boys of the, of the division. And I'll be the first one to challenge him. Is there a danger that you might have to vacate one of the belts? You've always spoken about how hard you had to work for the belts, the possible undisputed fight. But is there a danger if you don't fight Apulev or Usyk that you might have to vacate one of those? If I didn't, yeah, I'd have to. That's just the way the game goes. And anyone who would be in my position would have to do the same thing. So it's not as if I'm getting singled out and I'm like, oh, why are they against me? It's just the name of the game. And uh, I've got to take it like a man and think, all right, it's gone for now. But as I said, the heavyweight division is like a roller coaster, and it will soon come back around. UK fight fans are desperate to see you fight back in the UK. You've not fought here since Alexander Povetkin, in what, September yeah. 2018. Yeah. Tottenham's been earmarked as a possible yeah. destination. I mean, is that likely Tottenham possible? Why not? It's a great opportunity. I think the reasons is because it's crazy to say like this, but Wembley sold out. And it's crazy to even think that we can just throw Wembley or Cardiff out there like that. It's a blessing. So to even have the opportunity to go to Tottenham um, is a blessing for me. I'd be happy to fight in the O2 if that was an opportunity as well. But there's a big buzz around the heavyweight division right now. And um, the more people to come, the more the merrier. So Tottenham is open. Tottenham it is. So I'll be there with the OFB boys, Heady One, them and they're rapping me out. You know what I mean? It'll be sick. So I'm all for it. I was in Saudi Arabia for the Andrew Ruiz fight. Um, yeah. Over there, you didn't even want to mention the possibility of fighting Deontay Wilder or Tyson yeah, Fury. Yeah. You said you've got business to do. You handled mm. that business. Those questions are going to come now about Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury. What is the real likelihood of you fighting any of those guys yeah. back end of 2020 or, or early 2021? We've had meetings. So that same meeting with the uh, Usyk's manager, 
um, after that we had another meeting potentially to kind of put an offer in place to um, solidify that fight before they've even had their fight and I've even had my next fight providing we both win. I think for, for a reason everyone wants Wilder to win because that's the fight everyone wants to see. So um, Wilder's got a big right hand, I've got a great left hand. So it's going to be a matchup of a great boxing match and that's the one that everyone wants to see. So um, we had a meeting about that, it's a great potential. I heard they have a five fight lined up towards the end of the year but what we have to do is throw a curveball in there. Something that gets Wilder's attention providing he wins that he'll think to himself, you know what, even though I do have this rematch clause, I'm going to see how I can manipulate my contract and get out of it and fight for the undisputed championship of the world. Tyson Fury has said some things about you, as Tyson Fury always does. He said, if you were to fight Deontay Wilder, that fight ends in two rounds, you're, you're getting knocked out. What do you make of that f opinion, sorry, from Tyson Fury? Well, that's the same man that betted on Charles Martin to beat me, Joseph Parker to beat me. So uh, the first time I would have listened, the second, third and fourth time you get it wrong, you start realising that he's a bit of a waffler. So, uh, guys... Tyson Fury just doing what Tyson Fury does. He even said that he spoke to McGregor on the uh, on the phone, and that was a lie as well. So what can we believe when it comes to Tyson Fury these days? All right, final question. Tyson Fury also said that no. before he retires, <laughs> before he retires, yeah, before he retires, <laughs> that he will fight you, he'll fight Wilder, he'll fight Dillian White. Did you believe any that's, of this? That's what I'm talking about. That's that's the talk I respect. That's boxing talk, straight to the point, and that's what I'm about. So um, the doors are open. Firstly, good luck for your fight in February. We're wishing you well. Bring the belts back here. And then imagine having that fight in Tottenham as well. That would be phenomenal. So that's why I'm supporting Fury because I think, imagine like the local kids, right? Locally that are down Tottenham and whatnot, being able to watch the undisputed championship of the world on their doorstep. They've got to catch a little Uber or a little taxi down the road or ride their pedal bike to the stadium. How unbelievable would that be? So that's why I'd love it to be here in the UK. So um, good luck to him. I'm wishing him well. Good luck to you as well, Anthony Joshua. Thanks for talking to Guy Sports. Undisputed heavyweight champion me don't mean nothing. No matter what belts they hold, no matter how many wins they've had, they'll never be considered the best of this era until they beat the Gypsy King. Tyson, how are you, my man? You good? I'm doing very, very well. I'm in a very good place here in Las Vegas, enjoying me training, enjoying me food, enjoying me water, enjoying me sleep, enjoying me recovery, and that's it. Talk to me about that, because you just mentioned in Las Vegas. Is this it now? Are you uh, going to get a green card, become an American, move over here? No. I, uh, I have my fights here, yeah. but I'm, I'm still a uh, Morecambe Lancashire lad. And that's it. I don't think I'll ever, ever move. Ever. Um, I've often thought about moving. I've often thought about moving to America. Yeah. I've often thought about moving to Spain. I've often thought about moving to, to France. I've often thought about moving to Manchester or London, but I never seem to go anywhere. I think Morecambe's one of them places that gets your hooks in and you can't leave it. And uh, yeah, I seem to be happy there and I've got good memories there, so yeah, I don't want to leave. You, see, you seem really at home here as well. Whenever I've seen you over the last year or so, obviously fighting Schwartz and Wallen in those, in those build-up fights here in Las Vegas, Vegas seems to be very Tyson Fury, if that makes sense. It does, it does. Las Vegas is a great place to box a great place to, to be an athlete, be an entertainer. Um, it's the home of all big sports stars and all big um, entertaining stars around the world. And if you can come to Las Vegas and make it, you can, you can make it anywhere. You seem to be, from a, from a public point of view, you seem to be celebrated a lot more here as well compared to when you became world champion in, in 2015. The Americans seem to really take to the persona of the, the Gypsy King. 
I'm not so sure, you know, I've got millions and millions of fans in, in the United Kingdom. I've got, I got a lot of fans over here as well. Um, you know, at home, I'm almost like a folk hero now. You know, I walk down the street, I get bombarded. People show love and, and I enjoy it, you know. It's, it's, it's a lot better now being the fan favourite as to being the fan villain all the time. And I, I had to pay that, that uh, pantomime villain for a long time to, to sell fights and all that. But when you achieve everything in the game, people respect your achievements. You don't have to talk all the shit anymore. You just have to be yourself. And I suppose when I released that book, this is really Tyson Fury behind the mask. There's no more mask anymore. I'm just being myself. And that's it. When did that realisation come? When, when did you realise that you didn't have to be a pantomime villain anymore? You could be yourself, you could just be Tyson Fury. When I achieved everything I wanted to achieve in boxing, I wanted to be the most controversial, charismatic, colourful champion since Muhammad Ali, and I definitely did that, for sure. But now that's over, I just can be myself and be a normal person and uh, entertain the fans and, and have a good fight, and that's it. It's been, like you say, it's been, a, it's been since becoming champion against Klitschko in, in 2015 to where we're at right this moment in time. Five, almost five years this year. I mean, what a ride. What a, I mean, obviously we would never have been able to predict all the things that have happened over that, that period no, of time, good or bad, but a huge growth, a time of growth for you, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't want to say the word mature because you, 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 you came across as always a mature guy, but when you, when you hit the top, did, did it live up to the expectation that you dreamt as a kid? When you were dreaming of becoming world champion, did it live up to that expectation? I'll never know. I'll never know because I was very ill when I was uh, boxing for that world title. So I never got to appreciate my achievements at all. I went into the camp unwell. I trained unwell all the way through. I was unwell during the fight and I was unwell after the fight. And I continued to be unwell until I got better. Uh, if late 2017. You know, after I had that mental breakdown, I think that was the best thing that could have happened to me in my life. You know, I'm on the other side getting, getting through a mental breakdown and getting the other side of it. It's, um, it's a great feeling, great feeling to go, go as low as any man can go and then come back to the top and come out the other side healthy and well and live to tell the story. It's an amazing story and I wouldn't change anything because life's about living experiences and and I've had a lot of experience in my life, good and bad, highs and lows. And if you don't have these experiences, then I don't think there's much point in, in, being, in being a sportsman, being a fighter, being an entertainer. Life is about experiences. And no matter what the experience is, you should take positives out of everything. Because that even negative stuff, there can be positive experiences from it. And life lessons and things you can learn all the time. As a person, even a 90-year-old person can never stop learning in life. I spent a bit of time with Connor this week because we're obviously here for Connor's fight week. And he was talking about having mixed martial arts in his life and able to centralise him. You've, you've obviously seen what's happened to him since he became uh, a, a, a double weight world champion and obviously went off to fight in the world of boxing and what have you. And it seemed the fame, the fortune and what have you, and him taking his eye off the ball in the world of mixed martial arts kind of then affected the rest of his life. How big of a part of your life is boxing, not just from a professional point of view, because that's your job and what you do, but in order to affect the rest of your life, that, di that, that routine, that discipline, how much does it help? Um, the routine discipline's good. It's, it's a good thing to, to be involved with. Um, I used to think boxing was everything to me. I used to think I couldn't live without boxing. 
but it's untrue. Boxing's a sport, boxing's me job, and that's where it ends. My life, I've got a great life outside of boxing now, better, better than I've ever had before. And it's just, just keep grounded and keep living like a normal person. Um, I enjoy the small things like taking the kids to school, picking them up, making some breakfast, going to the tip, doing the bins. <laughs> I enjoy all that. Mate, I, I ate it when my wife asked me to do truth. the bins. I, I like going to the gym in the morning at the local leisure centre. Um, I like training with normal people, speaking to the last of the summer wine boys at the place. You know, you've got like 70, 80 year old men, they of all course. go there every morning. Um, and we have a little bit of crack and it's good, you know, it's, it's good, good just to be, there's a lot to be said for being a normal person. You know, people will say, oh, life's about ambition and, and IT flighties and all the flash stuff and all that. I beg to differ. I think life's about living a grounded, normal life and, and being, being happy with that. Mm -hmm. I don't need to live a superstar's lifestyle to be happy. I don't need to live in Las Vegas or London to be happy. I can be happy in Morecambe, going for a coffee, dropping the kids off at school, doing me bins, taking the car to get it valeted for a £10 valet, having a haircut on a Monday, you know, going to the gym training. That's it, that's my routine life. I don't live any other life. That's the best life you can live, I think, just being a normal person. How long then will boxing at this level be a part of what you're doing? Have you, have you got a plan? Have you got a, a certain amount of fights that you want to do before you can crack on with other ambitions? I have no other ambitions. No, my only ambition in life is to be happy. Um, some days I'm happy, some days I'm not. I think with my um, manic depressive disorder, I think that's going to be a part of my uh, life forever. Ups and downs forever, never be right. But you know, I'm happy. As long as you're above ground and healthy, then I think that's a good thing, isn't it? There's not much more you can be than that. My uncle Billy once told me, the best thing you can ever be is out of trouble. I didn't know what he was on about when he told me that when I was a youngster. I thought, this man's a fool. But growing up and, and understanding and, and enjoy, enjoying life and understanding how things work, then I think the best thing anybody can ever be is out of trouble. Healthy and out of trouble. Doesn't get much better than that. Nothing else really matters. If you live in a cardboard box and you haven't got 20 quid in your pocket, if you're happy doing that, then you're a wealthy man. You're a very happy person. I'm happy. Big time boxing's one thing, but you know, all, all careers come to an end. I've got three more fights left on this ESPN contract. So we'll see, see how we go with them. And then we'll see where we go from there. You know, I'm 31, coming to the end of my career. I'm not 22 anymore. I've not got nothing to prove. You know, I've got a few fights left and, you know, hopefully we, uh, we be successful in these fights and, and continue to, to keep moving forward and spreading positivity and, and that's it really. I can't really do much more in my life. I'm really happy with the way things are going. I'm really happy with where I am as a man and as a husband and as a brother. I think I've come a long way. Someone sent me a video um, only a short time ago, like two years ago. I was very fat and overweight and I, you couldn't really understand me because my voice was a bit like this. So I've come a long way since then and I'm, I'm really happy. You know, whatever happens in the wilder fight, I'm happy, very happy. I've achieved everything I've ever wanted to achieve in my life and more. I've made plenty of money in my career, you know. Um, I'm, I don't live an extravagant life, so I've never got to worry about going skint or that sort of stuff. Made good investments, and that's it really. It's good to see you in this space, it really is. It's good, it's good to see you speaking like this and, and carrying this, this persona 
from where you were two, three years ago. I mean, it's yeah. great. Regarding, yeah. regarding the rematch, talk to me about the changes, obviously, that you've made with trainers and various things like that. And obviously, we've seen you last week in LA, or early on this week in LA, talking that you, you want to stand and bang, you want to dig your toes into the canvas, and you want to, uh, you, you want to knock him out. Yeah, listen, it's, it's, it's a new thing. Um, I like new challenges. It gives me something to get my teeth into. Gives me focus, gives me drive. And when, I, when I'm not that used to doing something, it gives me ambition to get better at it and get better at it. So yeah, we're working on in the gym on, on putting lots of punches together and coming forward more and landing bigger shots and whatever. And that's it. I, uh, I brought Sugar Hill in to, to work on me right hand because I seem, I seem to be moving a lot and throwing a lot of jabs and feints and not throwing enough right hands. So yeah, brought someone in who specialises basically on that, on that right hand. Um, yeah, so we're open to throw it in the fight plenty of times. Hopefully it'll stay injury free and I can land it on Wilder. A lot, of, a lot of fans watching this, they know you can outbox him. You outboxed him the first time for a lot of people's opinion. So why not do the same thing again? Why though? Why do the same thing? Did it work last time? For a lot of fans, yeah. Yeah, but fans, for what people think, that's one thing. What I think is one thing. But the official decision is what counts, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. So, I think losing or drawing is the same thing. I class that as a loss. Deontay Wilder should do too. So, I'm not one of those people who's happy to lose on points or put up a good fight, you know? I lost in a great fight. I don't do that. I'm here to win or nothing. And people say it a lot, but they don't mean it. I'd rather get carried out of that ring on a stretcher, losing, trying to win, than settle to lose on points. And that's what separates me from, from the rest. That's what makes me a different breed, a different animal. People talk a good game. They think what they do when they've got a massive cut on the face. I'd keep fighting, never experienced it. They think what they might do when they're on the floor, spark out on the floor, game back up, and fight on. Never experienced it, so they don't know. Um, my heart says win or nothing. I don't do second place. So if I get carried out of that ring, fair play. Because I'll know I've done my best to knock him out. Do you think, just to finish, in the period of time that you want to fight for the rest of your career, do you think we'll see an undisputed heavyweight champion? Undisputed heavyweight champion means all. Don't mean nothing. There's a lot of talk of it, because a lot of promoters talk about it, but what does it really mean, undisputed heavyweight champion? What does it mean? I don't know what it means. What does it mean? Do you well, know what it means? Well, it's supposed to mean the, the main man, isn't it? It's, that's what it's supposed to mean. I'm already the main man. So, you know, there's always going to be ifs, buts or maybes. There's never going to be the main man, ever. There'll never be concrete, he's the main man. Because there'll always be someone else's opinion saying, no, this, that and the other. Undisputed champion, what does that really mean? Not a lot, to be fair, these days. When, when I beat Klitschko, he was considered... The, ma the main man. The main man. Yeah. Was he or was he not? Yeah, absolutely. There was no, there was no if, buts or maybes, was there? So when I beat that man, what did I become? The main man. Say no more. So to do it again, it's already been done. I already did that. And I'm the only active heavyweight today that can actually say 
they have been the main man in the division by beating the top guy. The rest of them ain't. See, when you understand boxing like me, is it takes it to a whole other level. Wilder be a, a fresh champion, the main Stavern who was making his first defence of the belt. Not really that good. Joshua beat Charles Martin, a guy who won a title on a default. Probably never even should have been a world champion. A guy that was a world champion because the IBF stripped me with having four days of the belt and give it to somebody else. So that's how he became a world champion. I became a world champion by beating a guy who had 26 title defences and unbeaten in 11 years in his own country, his own backyard. So that means I I'm the man to beat. And none of these guys of my era can ever be considered, or even looked at, as the man until they beat Amois. And that ain't easy to do, as I've proved in the past. Not an easy task. So yeah, as far as I see it and as far as it goes, I'm the man in the division to beat. No matter what belts they hold, no matter how many wins they've had, they'll never be considered the best of this era until they beat the Gypsy King or not. Perfect. Perfect way to finish, man. Appreciate it, dude. Thank you.